God, we thank you so much for this space and this time. God, what a blessing it is to be able to meet together in your house. God, to sing your praises and to know that the words that we sing are true. Spirit, that you have come to dwell in this place. That this is your temple because your people are gathered here. God, we love you so much and we thank you so much for your spirit who intercedes for us. For your spirit who speaks to us in ways that nobody else can. God, thank you for knowing our hearts. We love you. Amen. Good morning, Anchor Church. It's me, you fools. <laughs> I love preaching to you. I don't know what my deal is. I don't, I, I've preached in other places, but there ain't none like this, okay? <laughs> Let me tell you, I have a fire under my seat today, and I'm not even sitting. <laughs> okay, uh, that's because today is the last sermon in our series Offensive Authenticity, and it is my chance to tell you about the Together Ministry. What? Yeah. Oh, not that excited. I am. That's okay. Um, okay, so here at Anchor Church, we navigate life together. And you know this. We've heard it a million times. You guys are, are sold on it. You, you get it. You understand. Let's go home. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> okay, but today... I get to talk to you about Together. So you've heard from Lindsay and Elizabeth about Navigate, which is that portion of our mission that focuses on the Spirit of the Lord, that focuses on hearing from Him, that focuses on His Word and worship and studying together, that focuses on this element of ministry of preaching. And last week you got to hear from Kurt about life and about what it means to live life together, what it means that Hope is restored in discipleship, and that's incredibly important. And today, I get to tell you about Together. So Together is the, the portion of our church that's focused on outreach. It's focused on uh, our building and how we use it. It's focused on making sure that the people that come through our doors know that they have a place here. And I talked to you a couple weeks ago during our baptism service about what that means. That means that on your best day, as well as the worst day of your life, that you have a place here. That this is a church that will love you, that will still prompt you and urge you to grow, and that won't give up on you. I get to talk to you today about that, and I'm so jazzed, okay? <laughs> um, I will tell you one little thing before I start. I have been battling a cold. So, like, if you could send some silent prayers my way, like, I will receive them, okay? Um, <laughs> I had a, a real trouble this morning because I, I always preach my sermon to an empty room in the morning um, before I preach here on Sunday. And I had real trouble getting through it without hacking up a lung. So, I'm working on one lung today. Um, please, just, like, ignore it if I sniffle or whatever. If my voice starts to go out, just, like, maybe I'll move to the front row so you can hear a little better, Okay. <laughs> All right, but in getting prepared for this sermon, I was thinking about the concept of together. You know, and, and it occurred to me that when I say together, so many different images come to mind. Right, some people think of family units. That's a kind of together. Some people think of uh, high school. That's a kind of together. And so I thought I would break some down for you. 
break down some kinds of together. And the first together that I'm going to talk to you about um, is a together that is born out of a place of, of us versus them mentality. That is an exclusionary together. This is the together that you get when you walk into high school and you see that group of kids. You know, that group of kids. They are formed against the grain. They are formed in opposition to another group. And so their identity, their togetherness is formed out of dislike for another person. They say, oh, we don't like the way that they dress, so we're going to be different. We're going to be this kind of together. Or, you know what, I really hate what they stand for, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be this kind of together. And it's kind of what happens in the movie Mean Girls. <laughs> Have you guys seen that? Classic film, truly. Uh, film of our generation, I will tell you, but... Um, <laughs> But it's kind of terrible at the same time, <laughs> right? Because these are the girls who rule the school, whose whole identity is formed in not being another group. On Wednesdays, we wear pink, right? Nobody else in the school is doing that. So this is the first kind of together. It's a very exclusionary together. It's an us versus them together. Okay, the second type of together is probably more inclusionary than the first type. But it's a together that responds out of a place of, you know what? We need to protect this people. We need to protect these kinds of people. And I think about this, and, and this one might be kind of hard to grasp at first, but I conjure images of, like, firemen and police officers. Right? It's a, here's a, he looks like he's having a rough day at work, let me tell you. <laughs> Okay, even on my worst day, it doesn't look nearly as sweaty as that. Um, right? This is a kind of together that is somewhat inclusionary, right? because almost anybody can be a firefighter or a police officer. They just have to go through the proper training, through the proper schooling. They have to make sure that they have a heart that's right in it. right? And so it's kind of more inclusionary because it's in response to a group, and it's serving a group, but... But when you think about it, probably the guy who was charged with arson a couple weeks ago is not going to be hired to be a local fire chief in, in his district, you know, or maybe any, I hope, uh, right? So there are certain, like, conditions that have to be met in order for this group to include somebody. And on the other end, too, they only serve a particular group of people, don't they? People whose houses are on fire. <laughs> You can't say of your neighbor, you know, your neighbor's house three blocks away is on fire, and you can't call him up and say, hey, when you're done with that, can you come hose off my house? It's not on fire. It's just really dirty. <laughs> you know, they'd, they'd say, you really can't be calling 911 for this. Like, it's not an, our emergency, right? So it's more inclusionary than the first type, but it's still not both and, you know? Does that make sense? Okay, so we get to the third kind of together. And this is a together that includes people on both sides. It includes a group to come and serve and help. And it includes a group that needs to come and be served and be helped. This is the third kind of together. It's the most inclusionary. And I would say that this is where our church should be. Right, look, here's a picture of our beautiful little church. This is where our church should be. Right? Because we need to be meeting the needs of the people around us and outside in our community. And we also need to be inviting those same people to come and meet the needs of other people. 
right? So we stand as this kind of transitory give and take, where some days you're given, some days you need to take, and that's okay, right? It's the most inclusionary kind of together, because on your worst day or on your best day, you have a place in that kind of together, right? Okay, and so to better illustrate what I'm talking about, um, I'm going to tell you two stories today, and they're, they're two stories that are parallel, um, and in scripture, what that means is that one happens, <clears throat> there I go, see, one happens in response to the other, and so we're going to be talking about the Tower of Babel, have you heard of it? Yeah, just give me a little woohoo. <laughs> yeah, we've heard of that one. <laughs> and we're also going to be talking about the Acts 2 church. And Acts 2 church is kind of a misnomer because really it's the same church throughout the whole book of Acts, but it's most known for the things that go on in Acts 2. Right. And so in order for you to understand better why it is so important that we have it together that is both and, we need to go to this first story. We need to see what goes wrong when you have it together that is not both and. So turn with me to Genesis 11. And I'm going to buzz right through this story, and then we're going to tear it to pieces, okay, so we can understand it. Okay. (laughs) Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And in this story, everybody is speaking the same language. And when I read this, I was really confused. I was like, man, everybody's speaking the same language. You're all on the same linguistic page here. So I'm not really understanding who you need to make a name for yourself so that they know you. Doesn't everybody know everybody? Can I just say, hey, what's up, Lindsay? It's me, Valerie. And she says, Hey, Valerie, it's me, Litzy, because we speak the same language. And so this story confused me. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Make a name for yourself. Unless making a name for themselves had less to do with standing before other people than it did with standing before God. Doesn't this story read like a story that says creator? Creator who? I'll show him creator. These are people who wanted to make a name for themselves before the Lord. Self-focused and self-seeking. And I will tell you that this invention of the brick, whoa, we still use that today, incredible. right? So it was an incredible thing that they did 
But what happened at the end was the opposite effect. <clears throat> it was the opposite of what they were intending, the opposite of what they hoped. In fact, the taller that that tower got built, the more confused the people became. And God scattered them all throughout the land. What I want you to take from this story first and foremost is this, that there is a together that God ordains and a together that God scatters. There is a together that God blesses and he uses, and there is a together that he breaks apart and sends pieces on their merry way. And this was a together that God scattered. See, but in order to break down this Acts 2 church, this parallel story, I think we need a little piece of advice from somebody who I love dearly, and I hope you will too. Uh, see, there's this feature film that I, I adore, and some of you might laugh at me, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm more than, I'll stand, I'll, I'll die on this stage. <laughs> that says that Shrek is the best movie in the world. <laughs> yeah, so here's a clip that may help us in the coming moments. For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Example? Example? Okay, um... Ogres are like onions. They stink? Yes. No. Oh, they make you cry? No! Oh, you leave them out in the sun, they get all brown, start sprouting little white hairs. No! Layers! Onions have layers. Ogres have layers. Onions have layers? You get it. We both have layers. <sighs> Oh, you both have layers. Oh. You know, not everybody likes onions. Cake! Everybody loves cakes. Cakes have layers. I don't care what everyone likes. Ogres are not like cakes. Ogres have layers. Onions have layers. And the church has layers. <laughs> Lindsay was like dead set on me doing that impression, and I... I butchered it. It's okay. I still love the movie. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. <laughs> so just like ogres have layers and onions have layers, so does layer. Oh my gosh, butchering it. So does the church have layers. Uh, the layers have the church. Valerie, I'm... Sometimes you just watch a little bit of Shrek and you immediately go brain dead. Maybe I should really rethink my favorite movie, huh? Gosh. God ordained together has layers. That's what I've been trying to tell you and fumbling over my words doing. God ordained together has layers. And so the first layer that I would say needs to be there is this. Together must be spirit-filled. And this comes from Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And if you read further in this story, this is a redemption moment. Because unlike the Tower of Babel where everybody spoke one language, but they weren't God-focused, here everybody is speaking a different language, but with a focus on God, and you know what he does? He unifies it. 
You know what he does? He says to the ear of the Jew and to the Gentile, they can understand. He unifies a together that is split apart by barriers, but that has a Holy Spirit in common. In order for our together to be God-ordained, it has to be Holy Spirit-filled. Because that means that I, who have lived a life of struggle, can relate to people who have never, never had a bad thing happen in their lives. Because the Lord is who he says he is. Because we have the same spirit. And that means that when you're sitting here and you're thinking about the person that you dislike the most, that you still have a tie to them. Because the spirit is there. And where God is, there is unification. See, God ordained together has to be spirit-filled. This is redemption. All of these different languages, but unifying toward one common goal, which is the spread of the name of Jesus. See, and there's another element to this that that is so critically important because it's the same spirit-filling that allows us and empowers us to step outside the doors and still be serving the Lord. See, there's something happening in this passage of Scripture. Acts takes place right after Jesus has died and risen again and after the veil in the temple has been torn from top to bottom. And what does that mean? That means that God has established his new temple. That his new temple are the body of believers. And that means that where we go, God is. Do you understand how important that is? And how different that is to this culture. That where we go, God is. And that's why it's important for us to step outside these doors. Because if we just sit here, then we've created another temple, haven't we? We've created another temple where God no longer dwells. Because the veil has been torn. But when we go out, God is able to meet people because of him living in us. So this is just as much redemption as it is the fulfillment of prophecy. That the temple would restore the world. Okay, so let's move on to the second layer. Together must be where people encounter God's presence. And this sounds very similar to what I just said, but it's, it's not. See, we can sit here, and we can be filled with the Spirit, and if we never do anything about it, what changes? We're still here. And there are still people who desperately need to meet the presence of the Lord. We're still seated here, and there are still people who are crying for a Jesus they don't know. We're still here, just kind of digging our toes into the sand, Well, there are people suffering who need the Lord. And this this second passage that I'm going to read to you also has another purpose. And it's not a very friendly one, I'll tell you. But that's okay, because we're talking about offensive authenticity, right? We're in a sermon series talking about what it means to look different even when it costs us. And so this next section is, it comes from Acts 4. Verses 32 through 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. 
And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Let's read that line again. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And it would be so easy for us to say that if we're spirit-filled, that we automatically get to this stage. But I don't know that we can say that. Getting to this stage takes work. It takes an ear for the voice of the Lord. It takes you following his promptings. And that is really difficult. That means walking across the room when you have beef with somebody and talking to them anyway. And it means sitting in the presence of a person you don't really like because they need you. That means stepping outside the doors of the church when you feel like you are at your wit's end, when you feel like you have no more energy left to give, to still go. See, being a church, a together, that is God-ordained in this way, takes work. But it's not just of us. And see, that's the mistake at the Tower of Babel. That's the mistake that it's self-focused. But if we are spirit-filled, we're God-focused. If we are spirit-filled, this does become a lot easier because what? It's God's grace that was so powerfully at work. There's a community who had needs and those needs were being met, not because the people stretched themselves beyond what they could do and they gave everything that they had, but because God but because God was at work in them, because they were a spirit filled together. That's critical. See, but this passage of scripture really made some people angry. What these people were doing, this new church of believers were doing really made some guys mad. You see, the temple leaders knew what this meant. And I want you to understand what it means. Because in Deuteronomy 14 and 15, the law says that this is the job of the temple. That to meet the needs of the people is the job of the temple. And they hadn't done that. And so what did God do? He made another one. And after Jesus has died and risen again and his spirit has been unleashed on the earth, we find this new group of people, this new temple, fulfilling what it was always meant to do. And man, that made those Jewish leaders mad. Have you guys ever missed an opportunity? I have. You know, from, from oh, my friend invited me to a movie, but man, I don't really feel like it. And so I didn't go. But then you get mad when they invite somebody else. Maybe it was a promotion at work. You didn't take it because, well, it's just too much stress right now where I'm at, and I've got too much to juggle at home, and so, no, I'm good. And then you get upset at the person that they do empower. This is a case of that, and I think we can all relate. It was a missed opportunity because the temple was always meant to meet need. 
It was designed to meet need. And do you remember that story that I told you of Jesus flipping those tables in the temple? Because, man, that place was a den of thieves. That story led directly to the death of Christ. That story led to the Jewish leaders following him and killing him. And it's the same with this church. It's the same with the church that we see in Acts 4. It's this event that causes persecution. It's this event, this this people group, this new temple fulfilling its purpose. And the old temple group saying, but hey, that's my job. That leads to persecution. And that leads us to our third point. Our third layer of God ordained together. Together must speak truth in the face of adversity. And this is what we see happen. And there is such a good ending to this because even in persecution, the name of the Lord is carried. And we sit here today because of this. But you have to know, you have to know that God ordained together will cost you. See, we're in a series called Offensive Authenticity. This was a church that was being the most authentic that it could be, wasn't it? It was fulfilling the purpose that it was meant to. It was helping those in need. It was being the temple. And man, that made people mad. Man, that really ticked off the wrong guys. And we see Stephen. Everybody knows that name, Stephen, the first martyr. We see this man of faith at the forefront of this. That he is a person that the people outside of this church group can rely on. That he goes and he makes visits to homes. He goes and he feeds those who have needs. He listens to the people, he prays with them, and the Jewish leaders hate it. Because he is a man, a temple, living out a calling. And that's offensive in their sight. And so they go to kill him. And as Stephen stands before the Sanhedrin, he doesn't shy away. And he doesn't say, I will make a small, minor sacrifice. I will disown the name of Jesus for a minute so that I can live, so that I can continue to say the name of Jesus everywhere. And we all have that choice. We can, make a, we can take a step back in order to do what we think will be better, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't shy away from the challenge, from the adversity. He still speaks truth. And if you haven't read Stephen's whole speech, I encourage you to do it. It's some of the most beautiful scripture you will ever read. It's in Acts 7. But at the end of his speech, Stephen says something that puts the final nail in his coffin. It's verses 51 through 53. He says this to the Sanhedrin, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. Yikes. That's the hardest truth I think he probably ever had to say. And in front of people who had his life in their hands. 
but he said it anyway. Because living out a together that is God-ordained costs us something. And so what happened at the Tower of Babel, it didn't cost them anything. What happened at the Tower of Babel was that they were self-seeking and they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted a tower that stretched up to heaven and what happened, they became further from God than they had ever been. The higher that that tower grew, the more that they were in distance to God. And this morning, we have a choice. See, God ordained together costs us something. And these different points, I would say, go with our mission and vision statements, right? That we are to be spirit-filled, that's navigate. That's inviting the Lord into your life. That's reading scripture. That's putting down, looking for signs, and just turning to him who makes things clear. And I would say that speaking truth in the face of adversity is life. That's discipleship. That's why it's so critical that we do this hip-to-hip, That's why it's critical that we have another person walking through life with us because that's where truth comes from. It comes from hearing from another person's voice the word of God when you don't have ears to hear it. And I would say that fulfilling need is the together part. That's where we find together because together restoration happens. Together, we can do more than we can do alone. And together is what we were meant to be, a temple united. So I recently started a job at the YMCA, um, and I'm working with kids. I'm working, which, if you know me at all, you know, like, you would never picture me in that kind of position. (laughs) Babies, not my thing, you know? A lot of people are like, oh, they're so cute and they smell good. And I'm like, man, all I smell is poop and vomit. Like, Ugh, gross, you know, but I applied for this job, and I really wanted it, and, and I got this job, right, and I will tell you, I have never played so many board games in my life, but I love it, but there are two games that the kids love above all else, and they are chess and Jenga, okay, and I will tell you, I have not gotten any better at chess. Just this past week, I had two different seven-year-olds beat me at chess, Okay, and I'm not saying that they can't be skilled for seven. I'm just saying I'm not good at chess, okay? But Jenga, I've gotten pretty good at stacking that tower over and over and over again when they want to play five times in a row. And it got me thinking that we tend to do this in our lives, that when we come to church, we have so many excuses for not being together. And it's a lot like building a Jenga tower, right? We start with a base of, I don't really have time. I don't have the time to serve. I don't have the time to sit and listen to another person's needs. And then we layer on top of that. You know, I don't even really know if I like that person. I don't really know how invested I want to be in their lives, in their mess. You know, we think, well, I have to put on my Sunday church face because if I don't, I will fall apart. And if the right person or the wrong person 
asks me how I'm doing, I will lose it. And we come up with excuses for why we can't be together. Because it's scary. Being together is vulnerable. And it puts us in a difficult position. It means that at the end of the day, the people who are sitting in front of me, who I preach to, know what's going on in my life. It means that the people that I sit next to or the people that I avoid at church know who I am, that they see me. And it costs us something to show up again and again. It means that the people that I don't even really want to be invested in, I still see every week. See, God ordained together, it takes a lot. And we go to great lengths to try to shy away from it. We go to great lengths to hide, whether that's our sin or what's going on in our lives. We go to great lengths to not have to walk across the room and have conversations we don't want to have. We go to great lengths to not be the person up here at the altar seeking the Lord because everybody's looking at me. And we go to great lengths to say, yeah, I'm fine when I'm not. When my life is a mess and I'm falling apart. But a God-ordained, spirit-filled together doesn't do that. A God-ordained, spirit-filled together takes this tower down. But I will tell you that it takes more than one person. That I could knock it over, but that the next week these same excuses would meet us here. That without the commitment from all of us to not be a Tower of Babel kind of together, this tower will continue to be rebuilt. And when people are not meeting God in us, who are they meeting? They're meeting us. And that's self-focused. That's not God-ordained together. And so during the last song, this is what I need from you. There was a, a holy flaw in the Tower of Babel that the people didn't realize. And I've said it already, that the, the higher that this tower got, the further from God that they were. And what I need you to do is I need you to help me take this down. I need you to take a block off the top and keep it as a reminder of commitment, as a reminder that we do this together. That without every single one of you agreeing to take a block off and to not put it back, this tower will keep being built. That every week that we come here, we won't be a God-ordained together if this tower still stands. And so during our last song, I need you to come up here and to remove a block, and I don't want you to put it back. I don't want it back. You can throw it away for all I care, because we don't want this tower to be rebuilt. God ordained together takes the tower apart, and what we find is that as we put away our excuses, as we put away our fears, our anxieties, the things that terrify us about being vulnerable with one another, as we allow ourselves to serve beyond what we thought we were capable of in the power of the Lord, that the smaller this tower gets, the more we put those things away, the closer to God we get. 
God, I pray that, that you would help us. There are so many reasons that we think are justifiable to build these towers, to build walls between each other, to build a wall around our church so that the community can't see us. God, there are so many reasons that are flooding through our minds for why we don't want to live this way, for how uncomfortable it is. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to deconstruct this tower, that in your spirit we would be able to remove these blocks and not put them back. God, that we would be a together that you can use, that we would not be a together that you scatter, but that you would use our church. God, we love you so much, and we want to be closer to you. And the beautiful irony is that the more that we put these blocks away, the closer to you we are. God, would you help us to be vulnerable this morning? In your name.